I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is another episode of Convo by Design with noted architect and founder of PHX Architecture, Eric Peterson. <laughs> Eric likes to say about his canvas, quote, as you study it, the land starts to talk to you. It guides you, end quote. And that's how the following conversation went. Architecture is an art form comprised equal parts, creativity, and math, right? The manner in which the architect applies his craft to create and use space to its fullest potential, all the while artistically sculpting the form into a form that fits the client. This is my conversation with architect Eric Peterson. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. We fight over. How does that work out? Side. Who gets there? It's like the armrest on a plane. Who gets I know, it? I know. Well, it depends. If it's, if it's my event, then I get it. Okay. If, it's, if it's personal, I guess I give it to her. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so really interesting. You and I, you and I met a long time. We've known each other a couple of years. Couple now. years, yeah, yeah. And I think it's really interesting. We met as you were coming to LA. So your yes. primary offices are in Arizona. Yes, that's correct. Would you consider that to still be the case that your primary offices are in Arizona, or is it a yes. split now? No, no, no. That'll be our headquarters. We've got twenty-eight on staff there. You and do two here. Okay. Yeah. So interesting. With with such a well-established office in Arizona. Why make why make the move? Why? I guess here's what I'm looking for. Is it possible to work in another market? This is more of a biz question, right? right? But is it possible to work more in another market without having to establish an office? Or for LA, did you really need to establish yeah. an office here? You did. Yeah, good question. Well, we, um, yeah, I started. I thought of that at, at the beginning. I wanted to look at a couple of different options. We're currently working in Texas, Dallas. Uh, Midland, we're working in Park City, uh, we're working in Vegas and Palm Springs and LA. And when I was trying to logistically do that, the clientele specifically in LA was pretty unique where they wanted physical address, they wanted phone number to be 310. So there were some really uh, specific things that we got out of working here that we were like, okay, if we're really going to be serious about this, we need to make some real commitments to it. And that's what brought it on. 
That's really interesting to me. And, and I say that as someone who's got a 214 area code, yeah. and I have for the last 20 years, yeah. even though LA is home and I'm, I'm back here now, but I, I didn't even, I didn't really think about that. Yeah. So they want, so they want an LA address. Yeah. They want an LA phone. Yeah. They want to know. I have the address and then I'll, I was even calling for my 602 number and n not getting return calls. And I started asking around and they're like, oh, you need to have a 310 number. And so the new Apple allows you to actually have two numbers to the same phone which is spectacular. So now I've got one phone, but it has the two numbers set up to it, and it tells me which number they're calling to or which number I could call from. Oh, that's fantastic. It's, yeah, it makes life really easy. So how was the transition here? And then the second part of the, tr the, the physical transition yes. was the harder part, yeah. which is developing a clientele right. in a new market, especially a city like LA, because yes. LA is tough. Yeah. Yeah, I was very intimidated by it. And, um, you know, I started by coming out to Legends uh, in the LCDQ and just testing the waters. And I had some friends out here that were uh, linked into Lux Magazine, and, and they, of course, had tons of connections out here. And so I asked the same question. How does somebody like, you know, me just come into a huge market like this and expect to be able to work, work in, you know, fairly easily. And over that sort of period of time, the first year coming out here and coming to events like, like Legends, in meeting everybody that were just spectacular. I mean, it was just like so welcoming and instantly made friends with people that became very, like, really good close friends that were willing to bring me in on projects and that really su surprised me because I didn't know how I was going to be received in in this market but I think I've got a, a personality and a real a, a, a realness to me that a lot of architects don't have in this market and so that uh, both with builders and interior designers and other vendors were just like you're different from the others and there's something about you that makes us want to refer you and um, bring you in as as a partner with us and that alone has really been the thing that's helped generate the business for me here yeah if you were from New York and had the 212 would it matter the same Interesting. I don't know about that. I mean, as I talked to a uh, part of the reason for even coming out to here was also to get more recognition and notoriety from national magazines that basically told me that the, the rest of the nation really doesn't care about Arizona. And if, if to become more interesting to a national readership, it was necessary to make a move into somewhere like LA and New York. And so that was part of the instigation into saying, okay, maybe we should look at doing something or I could have just stayed as status quo in, in the Phoenix market. Do you think that's true? Well, I've seen it now because I've been out here two years. I'm definitely exposed to all of the editors on a national level and we've been picked up um, on, on, on a national level in editorial only because I've been in, in this market and being able to be exposed it's it's fascinating to me too because I, I feel like you know Arizona in particular is has, is such a treasure trove of it re is. remarkable architecture. Yes, um, you great know, architects, uh, great opportunities, yeah. and um, and the clientele is is definitely coming from L.A., San Francisco, New York, and um, and great work is being done. But it's not for some reason it's not of an interest 
to a national on a national level when you say Phoenix Scottsdale? Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I, I chalk that up to a little bit of snobbery. Um, yeah, but it, I think it's a fascinating. It's interesting because it, it it brought you out here. Yes. One of the other things too is so you're I don't I don't want to call it a specialty, but it kind of is. It is the the golf course yes. the the hospitality. Correct. Arizona is like the mecca. That's right. For golf courses. Yes. Right. How did how did you wind up in in that space? Yeah. And and sort of now that you're here, you don't you don't have to forsake it. For sure, but you're trying to yeah. sort of do other kinds of projects. Right. But how did you wind up in that space, and how did you sort of make your make your mark there? Yeah, it really grew organically from the luxury residential, and most of the homes that we're doing are in golf club communities and on golf courses. And so, uh, as we were doing those, the de- the developers recognized the work that we had done. We had done a number of homes in that market, and they brought us over to the clubhouse and said, "Hey, we're trying to make clubhouses less of a commercial space and more of a residential space. Could, so, could you help us?" And then that grew into, "Hey, we want to create a." really awesome restaurant concept inside the di- inside the the clubhouse and not a dining room that where you just come and eat and and that then grew to us getting awards for the clubhouses that we were doing which got other clubhouses to club uh, facilities to call us and then that grew into doing restaurants because we created such great restaurants within the golf club community. They wanted us to do standalone restaurants. Then we won awards for those. So sorry, hold so on. So just sort of grown. Yeah, hold on. So so take me through this. This is demonstrable. Like you can actually track a process. Oh sure. Which I think is fascinating. So it's the way you're changing a, a clubhouse on a golf course yes. with with the restaurant. And the retail within yeah. within the space itself, and the sort of the how it's used and how yes. it's how it's created, then the awards start to follow, and then that in turn is is what gets you additional business. Yes. Is it the the business? Is it the exposure from the awards? Is it the exposure from the media that's tracking the awards? Yeah, all it come of from? the above. Really, and members talking, uh, and the. Uh, GMs of these clubs all get together on a networking basis and talk, well, who did your club and who did your club Mm. and what success are you having? And um, because throughout the Southwest, a lot of these club managers uh, all um, feel very comfortable in sharing their success stories, my name has sort of grown through that networking circle. That's interesting. It's been great. And then it goes back to we've done the clubhouse and, and then people who are buying homes say, well, who did the clubhouse? We we want to bring them into our house. So it then comes back full circle to where we're doing more homes because we've done the clubhouse. And that leads me into one of the other things that we have spoken about before and I wanted to talk to you about. You know, as a, it's this dual-edged sword, right? You have, you have the success that you get from doing these projects yeah. and it begets you more projects. Yes. Then you want to... Ad- as a creative, you want to continue to expand and you want to continue to, to try new things and explore what you're capable of, right? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you not get and I think pigeonholed is is not necessarily the right word. Sure. But you, you develop a specialty. Yes. And then people come to you because it's expected that that's your specialty. And then it almost becomes, well, that's all you're doing because yeah. that was your specialty. Right. 
A, is that okay yeah. for you? B, is that something that is okay because it's what you love to do, but you still want to try and do other work? And if so, how do you man? How do you do that? Yeah, no, that's great. And we've we've specifically stayed on target with our luxury residential and with hospitality, and it's specifically boutique hospitality, both in restaurants, resorts, and golf clubs. And that diverse, just alone. Um, because every project is different, every site is different, every client is different, really feeds me on the creativity level that we have. You know, just with a house, every site is so completely different that it, it brings up a different way that we work. Because I don't have a specific style where I just do the same style over and over again, that allows us the opportunity on every single client and every single site to totally recreate ourselves on what we want to do. Even if the client comes to us and says, we're really traditionalists, we want something that's Mediterranean or Spanish based, it still allows us that creativity. Like how do we create this different? How do we give them that feeling that they want in something Spanish, but yet give them something of today and something new that fits the site and fits their lifestyle. And we give them a great experience as they go through that process. On the residential side, what have what have you learned from? This may be a weird question. No, nah, <laughs> on the on the residential side, um, especially, and I'm think I'm just trying to think this through. Yeah. So a golf course restaurant isn't the same as a traditional hospitality focused restaurant. Um, the kitchens aren't necessarily the same because you have you have a fixed quantity. You mm-hmm. you know what your membership base is. You, the numbers are probably going to be lower, but not always. We actually do it exactly like we would a regular you restaurant. Do. Yeah, okay. because we're losing. Traditionally, you lose your members to leave the club to go to one of their favorite restaurants, and so our goal is to create a similar vibe as to their most famous restaurant, and um, you know, and let that be in your own home. You, you know, you're in within your club. Now, obviously, you can't do you can't be everything. You can't be the super casual restaurant or the super formal restaurant. You have to kind of hit that middle ground, and each club is going to have a different vibe to it. There might be an older club that is more historically sort of been a more formal club and that membership's going to want, you know, a tablecloth, white tablecloth type of service. But we still create a vibe that is not just your typical old world dining room where you come and you eat in a suit and a tie. It still has to have, you know, think of your favorite restaurant that's more formal with a, with, with a white tablecloth service. And we want to create that vibe, a great bar, great dining experience. Um, but it's, it's definitely, you know, and we might have to just add the other service, which is for banqueting. So the kitchen might need to be a little bit bigger to have a banquet if the, if the club has a ballroom service, but most of our clubs don't, they're just mostly great, you know, uh, they're big homes and they have a restaurant sort of within it. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you about is, do you take sort of your, your philosophical approach to residential and apply it? to a clubhouse because you yeah. know as we're talking I'm trying to think I'm not a golfer but I've yeah. been in a clubhouse yeah. before and so it, it is like a big house yeah you know the the locker rooms are kind of like the kids mm-hmm. rooms 
right? And that's and, what resorts have been doing now too. Resorts have gone the way of let's make this feel as an extension of our clientele's homes. You know, they want to feel like when they travel in their, you know, that they are not staying at a Ritz Carlton or at a Four Seasons, but they're staying at an extension of their home. And in the past, you used to be at a Ritz and, and wherever you opened your eyes in the morning, you'd go, oh yeah, I'm at a Ritz. Because there was the certain, you know, white marble and gold, you know, faucets. Right now, the new mindset is you wake up and you go, oh, I'm in L.A. or, oh, I'm in, you know, uh, Hawaii. Because the surroundings match that feeling of being at, at a home in those areas. And then you notice the level of service and the, it, that you're, oh, yeah, and I'm at a Ritz. So that the methodology in hospitality has changed to match what the clientele is currently looking for. So that's interesting. So because you work in so many different cities, I'm curious if each city has a vibe, has a feel, mm -hmm. let's run them down. So LA, we'll, mm -hmm. st we'll start here. What's the, what's the feel of LA? What's the vibe? LA is more casual. So the, and, the, and it's got a more modernness to it. And so there's, it, it's this casual modernism that it has a connection with its outdoors that is very exciting you know i i think la is one of those cities in this that the rest of the country looks to for what's next what's exciting and as we've seen in our, in our arizona market what happens in la one year comes to arizona the next year so being in la actually has given us a little step at, uh, up in our arizona market because we're already seeing what's going to end up coming to arizona a year later okay so let's let's go to arizona what's what's the and that's really interesting um, because to back up to LA for a second, you know, I feel like LA is, is so eclectic. I, I grew up here. This yes. is home for me. And whether it's Spanish, modern, Mediterranean, mm -hmm. what, colonial, whatever, yes. the, whatever the feel is, you definitely have areas here where you've that's got right. that. When you talk about a city like, or a state like Arizona, yeah. certain cities, metropolitan areas like a Phoenix or a Tucson, um, that embrace a style of a city like LA a year later. Yeah. That seems to me like it would it would be it like rings on a tree, but you can't really do that for architecture because Correct. you're you're not building for a year, you're building for 50 years. Yeah. How does how does that work? Yeah, well, we do something what we call like sort of regionalism. So there's an a design and a concept that might be the overriding theme, but each region that we build in has a specific um visual use of uh, materials so let's just take arizona for example the stone is a darker stone than what we would use in la the um that we would use more copper because copper is something that we find in in arizona and it in copper here doesn't look the same or if i would use copper here i might let it turn green because that's what it would naturally do in this environment for that to be in arizona it'd be sort of falsely done to make a green look yeah because the patina is not going to it's not going to patina it goes the more same way dirty penny yeah so we try to keep things materials and in, in you know here i don't do huge deep shadows because i want the sun to come in but in arizona i want to protect the house from the sun so i do big deep overhangs and, and that look would be very different. If I put that here, you'd kind of look at it odd and go, that doesn't feel like it belongs here. So, you know, and the same with Park City, you know, Utah, or if we do something up in, you know, in Texas, 
there's a different, you know, there's a Texas limestone that might not work. It's too white and too out of place for Arizona and maybe wouldn't work in, in LA. So we, we look to the materials and to the environmental factors and each, each area then takes that on, but how you live in and, um, how the rooms relate to each other is, is a concept that, um, then starts to uh, be something that we could tie together in all of our different markets. Tell me, give me your thoughts on Dallas. Well, Dallas is, um, Dallas is an interesting market. It's it certainly is, right? one of a huge growing city. You know, we're doing more golf work in, uh, our Texas market than anywhere else. And that's just because the golf clubs there, there's so many golf clubs and they love golf, uh, in, in, in that environment. Austin is growing like crazy. We're doing a, a big, uh, club right now in Midland, Texas, which you wouldn't think, you know, why Midland? What's in Midland? Well, Midland's probably got one of the nicest airports that I've ever seen right now. So the oil is probably almost all of our oil is coming out of Midland. It, it right was now. built by natural gas. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's an unbelievable um, economy there. Uh, and Dallas has become almost a hub. I mean, that the, the airport, you could basically say anywhere in the world there right now. And, um, and taxes are great and cost of living is great. So it's just a really uh, positive environment. Yeah. And the, the style is interesting. I asked specifically about Dallas yeah. in that context because I lived there for nine years oh, okay. and it's really interesting because that city, Dallas, Fort Worth and everything in between, yeah. it's brick home after brick home after brick home with yeah. the Austin limestone attached yeah. to certain ways, yeah. but it's very, very repetitive. Yeah. In. I think that's changing. I think they're definitely seeing, and I, and again, as it sort of moves across the country, what starts in LA, then sort of moves into Arizona and then makes its way to, to Texas. So the casualness and the modernness is definitely moving more into their market. And they've got some amazing architecture that's happening there now in a contemporary way. Um, they've got some great architects that are doing wonderful work. That's more of you know, it's got a definite Texas feel to it, but it still has that modernism and that openness and that exploration of different materials that's really exciting. Yeah, well, and for you and the work that you do, you know, you look at something like in LA where this is really about infill yes. at this point. Correct. You know, we're not, they don't make more land, right? Right. <laughs> so, but in, in, a, in North Texas, yes. you're talking about just nothing but Land, land. Yeah. and Arizonans for some matter is that, as well. Is that still the yeah. same way? But but I would imagine that Arizona would be a little bit tougher simply because of the climate. And maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, I think there's climate problems in all of. I mean, in in uh, Dallas, you could go from 30 degrees in the morning yeah, no, to 85 in the day, and then you've got a hurricane coming through. You've got humidity. You've got bugs. Arizona probably is our easiest market just because it's just dry heat and it's for, you know, really nine months out of the year, it's just spectacular, perfect weather. We've got more sun than any other state. And, and, um, and so other than just dealing with the heat and the sun, which we could track on our computers and know exactly where it's going to be at any time of the year, we could design to that. Interesting. What about Hawaii? Hawaii, we've done uh, a few projects there, both on the big Island and, um, uh, on Kauai. And, there is definitely a modernism that you that works there as well in a cleanness. Again, there's traditional sort of methods of doing houses out there because the temperature is literally year round the same. 
you could do more outdoor living where, you know, we could do pod housing where you could walk from room to room to room and walk outdoors to get there. I think more in Hawaii than anywhere else, people want to have that different feel of living, right? And from wherever you're at, you want to have that more Hawaiian you know, traditional feel and not that it's a Hawaiian hut or you're going to do a thatched roof, but I think just the style in the way of living out there is expected to be a little bit different from what any other house you would do anywhere else, which is exciting for us because we could study that way that used to be done and then make something feel that way, even with modern materials. How much more laborious is it to build on the islands? Well, pretty much everything has to be planned in advance, and it all has to be shipped over there on on one boat. It's not like you run to the Home Depot as you go and, and do this, because you have to have the entire thing planned in advance and brought over there. And so the thought process is, is a little bit different from when you're on mainland and you can just, you know, order it and it'll be there on a truck. You know, it, it all has to be pre-thought out. and. There's a specific group of, of contractors that work there, and they really don't like outside contractors coming in from the mainland. That's their zone and their work, and and that's the way they do it. And you also have to be careful because if surf's up, all your contractors are gone for the day. So it's, uh, it's just the way of doing business out there in, in the construction industry. And that kind of brings me back to our original point of conversation we're moving from an Arizona to an LA not moving but but entering yes. a different market is is I would say it's very easy to do here insofar as you can do it nobody's going to slash your tires for doing it right nobody's going to tell you oh well you're not from here so you can't do it here right a, a market like Hawaii is vastly different Correct. it's extremely territorial that's right and I'm curious in, in your work as an architect, yeah. they must have homegrown architects there yes. too. Did you encounter anything similar to that? No, not in the same way. I think they, you know, we work um, in a very non-egotistical way. Like we like to have partnerships, and so um, there, when they, when you operate in that way, and you know, we always teamed up with a local architect there that knew the process and knew the system. And, um, and as long as you go in with it that way and not just storming in and raising your arms and saying, I'm here now, follow my lead, then they kind of look against that. But because you kind of go in with open arms and say, you know, I'm, I want to work in a collaborative way, you know, the process here better, uh, then people respect that. And that's also the way that we've come into this market as well. In Hawaii, did the clients bring you in? Or yes. Did, okay. Yeah. And that typically happens. There's a lot of San Francisco architects working over there because that clientele is easier there. We had clients from Arizona that knew us and wanted to have a secondary house there. And so that that's how that typically goes out there. It's not normal that it would just be a local that would find us. So it's interesting. What I found is when designers, architects enter a new market, they tend to have much more um, specific plans in place, both long-term and short-term. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say the reason for that is is someone who's very well established in, in a market does, the longer you do something, the less you sort of plan for it, yeah. right? Yes. And I think that when you go into a, a new city, it, it kind of forces you to plan. Yeah. Was that pretty much the same for you? 
Um, well, you know, we were already working throughout the Southwest and yeah. we were doing that pretty successfully. And, and technology these days even helps more because we could do go to meetings. We've got video conferencing and, you know, our clients could be in Germany and we're doing a house in L.A. And we don't even need to see them in person. We see them digitally through the whole process. And so it's very easy for us to work anywhere in with today in the technology, but specifically for LA, it just required us because the amount of work that I want to do here and the, and the uh, commitment to the work that I want to do in this market really required us to have a physical presence and for me to be here on a regular basis. I guess more specifically when it comes to planning, yeah. I, I asked the question because and you you can acknowledge this the the industry is changing yes very quickly and it's it's changing for a lot of reasons um you know certain things that that homeowners in particular maybe golf courses would plan this because it's uh-huh. a business but homeowners and their residential don't necessarily plan for things like <clears throat> excuse me they don't plan for tariffs mm-hmm and tariffs af- affect your, your raw materials and your building right. costs immensely. They don't plan for um, environmental changes. And whether you believe in change or you, you don't, whatever, the right. one thing you can't deny is that it does happen. Sure. And it's creating these vast swings mm-hmm. that we didn't necessarily experience before. It also creates other, certain issues that you have to deal with, like you know putting solar panels on, mm-hmm. a, on a roof and dealing with your use of water mm-hmm. and dealing with your exterior landscape yeah. and how you're going to use all these different things. And so with regard to just those things I mentioned, right. that dramatically changes the industry. As you plan going forward, does that affect your style? Does it affect the design? Does it affect, like maybe in LA, because our temperatures are getting warmer, you're going to look more to your Arizona builds and your Arizona projects and say, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm going to maybe the overhangs need to be broader. Maybe mm-hmm. this is something that I'm going to incorporate into my style because of the the changes in landscape and the changes yeah. in city. And not to mention the fact that home, like here in, in LA, the prices are just out, outrageous. Yeah. It's just gotten crazy. It's gotten New York crazy. Right. And so because of that, the the big properties and the big projects, maybe now they are like we talked about infill, yeah. you know. So how how do you how do yeah. you plan when it changes that quickly? But still in the in the scheme of things, it's not really quick. You know, so we're doing things that are within, you know, a three year time period. And within that time period, you know, there isn't much change that's going to happen both on an environmental side and the politics of California even last longer. So so for them to implement a change that might affect a client in the process of doing a design right now is pretty rare. The the bigger things like incorporating solar, capturing rainwater, those are things that, you know, really have been in the process for 10 plus years. And so we've already been starting to train ourselves to think about those things. And it, it does happen as sort of on a much slower sort of a of a process than the little blip of time that we actually are in, in the process of designing. And for most part, we do th- talk to our clients about long term, you know, like this might be here for, you know, 20 plus years. So you should think about that. And a lot of our clients really aren't as interested in that. There was a initial blip, you know, back when we were talking about lead and and sustainability and environmental and the cost 
implement implementation to their project on a personal level sort of outweighed the initial reaction to saying, yeah, I want to save the world. What's more important right now to our clients and where they do want to spend the money is on, on their health, something more personal. And they will be willing to spend money on creating a healthier environment for themselves. So that's probably the biggest change that we've seen over the years is that um, more healthy uh, uh, and sustainable materials in their own house that are going to personally affect them specifically. So there's less toxins in the, in the materials that are being used, less odors, uh, more filters on water systems and, uh, and the air systems. And that's come out of the fact that, you know, the water is, is dirtier. That is being, that's coming to the house. The air is dirtier, you know, so, so they are willing to spend money on on systems like that, and that has been something that has slowly been being incorporated more and more into the residential uh, units that we're doing. That's interesting. Specifically, um, product wise, systematically, what are what are you seeing, yeah. and and how is that being incorporated sure. into the design? Well, definitely, you know, solar is still uh, you know something that is actually being incorporated now and actually regulated to be incorporated into into you know individual homes in is California. That, is, is that almost mandatory here? Yeah. Well, the newer codes are asking for it to be incorporated. Uh, but on a on on a more personal level, to have a healthy you know filtration system that uh, cleans the air and uh, and where the house actually sort of breathes on its own, it'll open windows automatically and close them when the air quality is bad. Uh, it'll control when or or when the outside air gets filtered into an air conditioning system. The water uh, coming into the house gets filtered. And it and it's different for whether you're using it in a toilet or drinking water or shower water, and so it's more of this smart home technology that is able to, because of the computers that we have now, really control the house for things that we shouldn't have to think about, but con- that affects our personal health. Isn't it interesting too that you're finding people are using home? more than ever before because of traffic conditions. You, yeah. know, you have an office. Yeah, I, I home a, office is I have a home studio. changing everything. Yes. Yeah, it really is where, where years ago that might not have been That's right. probable. Mm-hmm. You know, still possible, but yes. it would have just been really expensive. Right. But now, are, are you being asked to incorporate anything that has surprised you in the last few years? Hmm. Um, definitely more of the whole family coming back together again. So that's sort of different from what what everybody says is happening, that the family unit's being broken up. And we, you know, certainly there are those situations, but we're seeing almost every client that comes in on a high-end home is asking for a room that their parents might come back and live with them at because the cost of healthcare is so high with, uh, being, a, you know, a lot of people don't want to put their parents or their mother or their father, you know, singly into a home that it's better to have them living with them. And so we're designing the house for that to occur in the future so that they have some peace of mind that their mom could come live with them and, and they're separate, but yet they're right there. 
and um, you know having a, a care person that would also live in the house at, at that same time. So those are interesting things that you know we we weren't doing you know 10, 15 years ago in a house, but we're pretty regularly seeing that now incorporating it into all of our design work. And that's it's it's really it's it's a it's a global impact. I mean, yeah. things that I've heard designers doing here more than ever before the concept of the dual kitchen yeah where you'll have a working kitchen and then in the a back ki- kitchen and yeah. Then, yeah or the kitchen for show yeah. and then and then the one where exactly. they're, they're actually working it um you'll you'll have people bring you know the kids are living at home longer yes. whether you like it or not that's right the parents are coming back and living at home too mm-hmm. these are these are new things yes for for um, american society right. and that is something that kind of started in in la that's now sort of making its way across the country the dual kitchen and we're finding that you know, when people do entertain at their house, they want there, it's always in the kitchen. And so the kitchen and living room have now been combined. We're definitely not doing as many theaters as we were in the past because theaters were sort of isolated spots. And now the technology has gotten to the point where all the speakers that you used to have in a theater can be incorporated into a whole family room and have the same experience, but out in the open. And so that's, that's been a nice change. And then people don't want to see that in the back. So they put you know all their kitchens in the 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 real working kitchen in the back yeah it's fascinating do you like to golf um i enjoy golf if it was like way shorter (laughs) so i'm not up for i i don't have the patience to go for five hours on a golf course i've got so much going on in my life and i've got teenage kids and so if it could be com- compressed down to sort of like a maximum two-hour experience, I'd be thrilled. I was gonna, I was gonna ask if because your kids, yeah, or uh, rather, sorry, because your business is done in golf courses, yeah. if you actually liked to do business yeah. on the golf course. No, I, I really don't ever. I get to work on all the greatest <laughs> golf courses in the country, but I don't ever get to really golf or take the time. And um, it, but that change is now also occurring because almost every golf course that we're working on is incorporating some sort of short game experience, whether it's a an executive course, a, a par three component, or a putting course, or some, maybe there's two or three holes that are lit up at night with speakers so that you could go out there and enjoy it while drinking, either with wives and, and or just a bunch of guys, you know, sort of hanging out, smoking and listening to music and in playing in a, in a couple of hours, you know, and having fun, that aspect is definitely integrating into golf now and on a big, big scale. And, you know, top golf has sort of helped invigorate people back into golf and having more fun with golf. And, and I think that's a good thing because it was definitely dying. Yeah. Yeah. And for those not familiar, top golf, top golf is kind of like the Dave and Buster's Yes. For golf. Right. Yeah. But it changes throughout the day. So in the morning, it's really a training, like a lot of pros go in the morning to to train and get um, sort of ex- exercise and, and extra practice. And then it, sort of midday, you've got sort of families going. And then as it transitions to night, it's a major nightclub experience that's all surrounded by golf. So it's a really great thing that's happening with golf. And it's the number one way that people are, are being introduced to golf now in the world. That's a, have you designed for them? So we're currently working with them on their swing suites, which is a, a so restaurant great. concept in cities that are attached to big convention center hotels. And, and a lot of times in cities, you know, like, you know, in the Midwest or in inclement weather where you're not going to drive out to one of these big outdoor facilities. And so the, these are done with simulators 
and you get the same exact uh, experience of Top Golf, but in a simulator experience, and then you still have the food and the drinking. So great. Yeah, it's so a lot great. of fun. Uh, Eric, thanks for doing this. Thank you. Really had great. fun. Yeah, thank you. Me too. Great. That's a wrap on this episode of Convo by Design. Thank you, Eric, for your time. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your generous support of the show. And thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you haven't yet, it's super easy. You can find the show everywhere you find your favorite podcasts or ask, uh, ask Siri. Say, hey, Siri, play Convo by Design podcast. And she will. It's amazing. Until next week, thanks for listening. Stay healthy and keep creating.